You're listening to audio from the Decidedly Podcast. For more information, find us on Instagram at Decidedly Podcast. Is cheerleading a sport? I think, yeah, that's interesting. You know, is it? Um, I, I think it's certainly athletic. I, I think that when you get to uh, the competitive cheerleading, I think that's a sport. I, I think it is because there, there's a competition, there's teamwork. It's certainly athletic. Um, I think it's a. I'm gonna I'm gonna come down on the side of yes, it's a sport. Okay, so cheer. So when it's competitive, like define competitive and athletic. Yeah, it's it's teamwork. It, there's competition. Uh, I think it certainly can be uh performative but, where it's just it's just demonstration you know it's just showy i don't think necessarily that's a sport but i think cheerleading can be a sport uh, if it's competitive if it's competitive it's it's certainly athletic right there's certainly teamwork involved um and i think you can go into cheer competitions and they're cheer competitions i mean it's a sport yeah okay yeah. i think like the college cheerleaders Absolutely. Most of the big name schools, you know, you go to a, a D1 football stadium mm -hmm. and the guys are throwing the girls up and they're doing like 14 backflips and then landing on their pinky finger. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'll no no it. doubt it's athletic. Oh, yeah, no, for sure. No doubt. Yeah. No, I can't, I can't even do a toe touch. No, I can't. I can, I'm far from doing anything like that. Yeah. I, I'm, no, I'm super brutal. impressed with those people. <laughs> I can do the backflips and all that stuff. It's super yeah, fun. the um, <clears throat> our guest today was a cheerleader, and so that's yeah. why it made me think of that. Is it a sport? And that was a often discussed um, topic in the high school cheerleader with what football do you mean? players and the cheer. Well, the cheer the cheerleaders really at my school they certainly weren't competitive and they certainly weren't athletic, but they were really committed to saying that it was a sport. Oh. And they didn't do all the stuff that you know they didn't do the flips and the turns and the the launches or anything okay um but they were really committed to that identity so it's an ongoing battle for many uh between the sexes so to speak <laughs> never to be resolved yeah. yeah well our guest today was a former d1 athlete as a cheerleader and so that answers your question sean cheerleading right. I guess, yeah. is a sport uh, kyle sullivan was a, a cheerleader at the University of Louisiana Monroe, while he was in college, became a drug dealer, dropped out of college, became a pastor. And now he is uh, an entrepreneur who started a coaching company called Unleash the Champ. Uh, Kyle's got quite the story. Um, he founded Unleash the Champ to create powerful coaching experiences for people to match their personal fulfillment to their professional success by using the playbook to crush, overwhelm, and increase confidence in the four phases of life. With over 10 years of organizational leadership and team development, leading thousands of people, plus a growing desire to learn it all, he strives to inspire people every day to unlock the cages they are in, to unleash the champ within. I had a great time talking with Kyle today. I learned a lot about life, learned a lot about decision-making, uh, not so much about drugs. You, you learned um, a little bit about dealing drugs. <laughs> maybe a little bit. Well, I think that you're going to learn something too. Stick around. I'm Sanger Smith with my dad, Sean Smith, and this is Decidedly. <laughs>
Hey, Kyle. Hey, hey, what's going on, y'all? Hey. I, uh, I think that you have the most D1 athlete name I've ever heard. It's just punchy and, and, and very appropriate. It, it belongs on the back of a jersey. Yeah, come on. I'll take it. I'll take it. Yeah. No, no one's confusing Sanger for like scoring touchdowns or anything like that. <laughs> yeah, I've got, I've got a name that like feels like almost more of a rodeo name than a real athlete name. It's like almost. Hey, that's, a, that's, a, that's a sport in and of itself. What you if you could ride a bull. Rodeo names have like rodeo athletes have the best names. Oh, they're all like Colt and Buck and Yeah, Levi Wrangler. Levi Maverick. <laughs> Maverick. Yeah. yeah, Lasso Spurs. What? Yeah, yeah, oh, that's a good rodeo name. I like that. Just two on the nose. Anyway, glad to have you. Yeah, I'm excited to be on the show today. But you were uh where'd you play? What'd you play? Right. So there's a bit of a twist within that uh there's a bit of a twist within that. So I played baseball and football all growing up, football and powerlifting in uh, in high school. And then, so your listeners can't see this, but I'm about five, eight and a half on the good day with the right shoes and the right product in my hair. And so I was just too short, too short for to play football. Wasn't exceptional enough at my position. And so the strength and conditioning coach at the university was married to the cheerleading sponsor. And he was like, hey, you need guys, right? And so as an 18, 19-year-old, uh, when a pretty girl comes up and says, hey, you can hang out with us. We'll pay you. You just got to be a cheerleader. Sign me up. So I competed uh, nationally in cheerleading for two years when I was in uh, university there. And uh, so, yeah, it was I got hurt more in cheerleading than I did playing any sport or powerlifting throughout, you know, growing up in high school. You know, it's funny. I, you know, as I played I played high school in football. And I remember there was a time at my at my high school where our cheerleading squad went from just, you know, a few pretty girls who would cheer on the sideline to sort of national com- competition in cheerleading. And it changed the dynamic. And we had four guys from the team who who left and became cheerleaders and totally. uh these guys were big strong guys uh <laughs> so i remember my team going like they went to nationals and the whole thing uh it all fell apart once that coach left and it went back to yeah you know, the real the story there is the re- the book on recruiting that that coach needs to write Oh man, no kidding! Like I don't know how you convince a guy in you know in high school you, you know leave the football team and come be be a cheerleader when that's not the to start that yeah and that's not the if it's a going thing you know uh, you, you know high school kids in college are pretty swayed by uh, you know social pressures. Uh, where'd you go after you left that? So in the midst of high school and in college at that university, got wrapped up in partying stereotypical college guy joined a fraternity party on all the time wrapped up in drugs and alcohol uh didn't like having to pay for my drugs all the time so i started selling them uh because i thought well that's a that's a good decision to make um and it was it's a, it's about, a true business owner mindset kyle is it, right okay. i'm An like entrepreneur. you know what i went from like the little peddling the little uh candy bars to you know drugs i was like man i was an entrepreneur well before i realized i should be one um but yeah so i basically got jumped at a drug deal 
didn't take a whole lot here. Got jumped at a drug deal and said, you know what? Maybe this is not the life I want. And all through middle school and high school, my parents, you know, took me to church. I was at everything. I was at all the things. And um, I had one guy I trusted because I couldn't stand church. Uh, I joke I had a drug problem before I had a drug problem because my parents drugged me to church. And <laughs> I, I couldn't stand it, y'all. I couldn't stand it. Uh, every it child in the South. St- yeah. Exactly. Thought it was weird and stuffy, and y'all talking to this dude in the sky. It was. It is it weird and awful. stuffy. Most ki- most uh, most of the time, you get drugged to church. It, right. As a you kid, know, it's it feels if you're an whether it's going weird to church or not. Excited about it. You need to you need to make some friends. Oh man, right. I got you, you. talk about getting drugged. I I used to have to go in my in the summers to my great grandmother's uh, in Joaquin, Texas, on the east you know, Eastern side of uh, Texas. And we, and they would ship us off to vacation Bible school at this there little church, you know, in, in podunk nowhere and uh, do vacation Bible school. And, oh man, I, I hated every second of it. And, you know, I didn't know anybody there. Was like, just, just a, yeah. just a beat down, <laughs> but uh, all right. So I'm going to, I'm going to back up. All right. I'm going to back up to this because I'm, I don't know anything about this life. Right. Okay. Uh, the, the, the drug dealer stuff. Mm-hmm. All right. So how do you go from being on the cheerleading squad at, at the school? Where were you at school, by the way? Louisiana Monroe. University Got it. Oh, okay. I know, I know Louisiana Monroe. All right. So how do you, how do you go from being on the cheerleading squad there to dealing drugs? I was doing it at the same time. So I graduated high school, get into college, join a fraternity, get into the party scene. And one night, someone offered me cocaine and I had no clue what it was. Like they pulled it out. I'm like, what is that? She got some baby powder. And so I wanted all my life wanted to be accepted, wanted to be cool, wanted to be whatever. And so having no real guiding direction or anything, I was just, you know, 18 years old, first time out of home living in a pretty restrictive home growing up. And it's the first time I'm out on my own. I was like, let's, let's do it. And I was hooked. My already uh, excited, expressive personality was just magnified. And so I thought, Oh, I'm, I'm Superman. This is incredible. So I do that for a little bit, get connected with people in the drug game. And I just start going, hey, y'all need any help with anything? You got an internship with the drug dealer? <laughs> more, more or less. And so a buddy of mine it was, was like, yeah. I'll work yeah. for free, man. I probably anything. I just want to be around here in the environment. I like, how you, I like how your mattresses are on the floor. Like, I just like it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, more or less. So I had a buddy say, hey, you need to come. Like, come with me. It was very movie-esque. Get in the vehicle. We're going somewhere. All right. And met the people, you know, above just uh, buying the drugs. And just made a connection. And so we'd go to parties and go to the bars and go to the clubs and just we're doing that stuff. And I was still in school. Working a job, 
doing all the extracurricular, you know, the, the stereotype when you get wrapped up in drugs, it's like, you just ruin your life. You go rock bottom. I was fully functioning member of society. Didn't get any trouble. I just did drugs all day. And it, the first time that I got in any real trouble was when I got jumped. Yeah, tell me about that. What happened? Went went to a party, walked in, probably took five, six steps. Someone came around, you know, the wall leading into a house. Boom! One hit to the back of the head. And it's a party. There's people watching me get jumped. And, you know fight my way out, whatever, um, and got in my truck, and that's when I called the one guy I trusted from church. It's like, I don't know, 2, 3 o'clock in the morning, I've been coked out of my head for a couple days, probably as a weekend, and I called him, he answers, significant thing, number one, and I just blurt out, I need effing Jesus, I just didn't abbreviate anything. And so he's like, all right, come over. So I go over to his house and we start talking about Jesus. And for the first time, I don't know if it was a mix of, I don't want that to happen again. Or what actually was happening was I was open to a relationship with God for the first time in my life. And so he leads me to Christ in between drags of a cigarette on his front porch. And then I go to sleep. Next day I wake up and I'm like, so what do I do now? So I withdrew from the university, left the cheerleading, got out, moved out of the frat house and started going to church for the first time for myself, by myself, and got connected with a community of college students that were part of the church and, and, Really, that was my rehab. Community was my rehab. I didn't go off somewhere. Um, and because, this was the unique thing about it, because I was still fully functioning, I mean, I worked a job, I went to school, did this, very few people actually knew what happened. I just said I got in a fight at a bar, which could have been likely because I spent a lot of time in the clubs and the bars and whatever. And so I didn't tell really anybody besides a close group of people what was happening. And, you know, two or three months after that was the hardest of my life because, you know, going through the withdrawals and, and, and I had a great group of guys that were like, nah, player, you're not going back to that. We're here for you. We're going to link arms and sometimes hold you back um, and make sure that you don't, you don't go back to that because it would have been much easier. Um, I was making, I mean, for an 18, 19, 20 year old, making a stupid amount of money. Yeah. Spending a stupid amount of money. Basically it was just a wash. I was just funding my party. Um, wasn't like I was putting a bunch away in savings and <laughs> none of that was happening. Um, but yeah, and that started the journey. A year later, I go go back to school and move to Arkansas. Uh, I go to uh, Washtenaw Baptist, a small Christian university. 
and decide, and I'm going to go into ministry. And because I wanted to be, I wanted to be somebody that appealed to me when I was in middle school and high school and I didn't want to be at church. Yeah. And so I said, okay. What do you think it is that was when you were that age and and you looked at the church and you couldn't find anyone that was, or were you, I guess you were unable to find people who were appealing to you uh, to, to lead you and mentor you. Otherwise you would have enjoyed church more. Totally. I, I, so much of my life was revolved around sports Yeah, that I didn't see the place church had in my life. Okay. My, my mentors were coaches. My friends were my teammates and my dad went to this retreat. It was, it was real big men's conference, real big in the nineties, two thousands for promise keepers. And he comes back from this weekend with what I think is just his buddies he goes to this and he comes back and he's like, I'm saved. I'm like, you're right here. Saved from what? And so even from the get, having to go to church was forced. Away. Yeah. And so that was probably, you know, I'm a rebellious kid. Uh, like to buck the system from an early age. And, and so it's like, you have to go here. I'm like, whatever. I'm not going to engage. I'm not going to give it a chance. That's really what it boiled down to. I think a lot of young boys have that um, experience growing up in church where there's uh, struggled to find the place that it has in their life. And, and it seems like there's not a lot of, um, it, you know, as a, as a young boy, I always felt like the, the male leaders in the church were not like the other men in my life. There's, it was very different. And I was like, okay, I've got to choose between, you know, this type of guy who's, uh, you know, hunting and fishing and hitting home runs and, and building stuff and, and riding motorcycles or whatever the other manly stuff, you know, every other guy I knew was doing, or I got to wear a sweater vest and sit in the pew. Like what? <laughs> and, I, you, I don't you know. You saw the church I went to, right? Yeah. <laughs> you saw the... Yeah. No. I mean, so it's, it's interesting that that was a, you know, the way that you framed that was that you wanted to be someone that would appeal to yourself. And that resonates with me because I don't think there's a lot of, um, there, there's a lack of that presence in the church, in my opinion. Totally. At least the church you went to. I mean, it's, you know, that may not be universal in that faith. Right. I mean, I've been a part and found churches since then that, you know, I think it's probably a combination of small town yeah and you know the people it's a it's it's a bigger conversation to have of why aren't the church capital c reaching people who would want to be involved in you know unless so there's a much bigger conversation that could be had um but i think you're i think you're definitely right in that it's uh so, so that led you to go into uh into ministry so i spent a year working a nine to five, I didn't think that I would ever go back to school because for me, it was a fear of, I go back to college, I'll get back in the party. I didn't want to do that. I wanted to mm-hmm. distance myself. I had found some, you know, found some community, found this. And one of the executive pastors at the church had gone to this university in Arkansas. And at this point I had entertained pretty heavily and felt okay my next step is to go into ministry youth ministry particularly and i wanted to create a youth ministry that 
in my opinion, didn't suck and would get kids that were like me to it. So I wanted it to be high energy. I wanted it to be uh, community-based. I wanted it to be, you know, all of those things. And so I go to this school, and it was the best thing that I could have ever done because I didn't – it was a reset for me. I no longer had to be Kyle, the athlete, drug dealer. Yeah, you didn't have an identity Christ. anymore. Totally. And so for me, it was amazing because then I got to be the the controller of my story. I got to release it when and to who, and it wasn't just known. Because what I realized, getting involved in church back home, I thought I was more slick than I actually were. Because people, <laughs> people knew. Most like, guys that age uh, have that affliction. Right. And so people were like, what's he doing here? Like, those are some of the things that were, that were asked. Like, what he just, yes. And you're now, yes. Okay. And so it was, it was great for me. So I went to university, started getting involved with church in Arkansas while I'm going to school for Christian studies and theology. And so I do that from 2008 to 2011, get my degree. And then I come to Oklahoma and that was a big decision for me because in Oklahoma, there was no job, but I had a host home and this beautiful girl that I was nuts about that I felt, okay, I'm going to get married to her. Or on this hand, I had a secure job in Houston, large church, crazy big ministry, guaranteed job at a college. Well, I'm in Oklahoma now, so I chose that. And made the decision to put everything I owned in my little hatchback car, which was basically just books, clothes, and a TV. And I move up to Oklahoma, start working at the church that I had entered at that I met, Ginger, who's now my wife, um, and was just interning again out of college, working at a gym and then working at a clothing store in the pockets of time just to stack cash and and uh, then lay, I've been in Oklahoma probably about six or seven months. And I get hired at Life Church, was on staff there for about seven years, and then uh, left in 2019, was on staff at another ministry here locally in Tulsa called Transformation Church. And then in 2020, kind of at the, you know, depending on where you sit with the whole pandemic, kind of at the beginning stages of the, the peak. I stepped out of ministry and started Unleash the Champ. You've got real influence on, on people's lives and, and young people's lives. Purposeful or not, it's about decision-making, right? It, it's it, you're, you're teaching people how to effectively make better decisions. What would you say were your decision-making framework? How do you help people make better decisions as a, as a pastor? Well, as a pastor, I think the, the first frame is, does it go against or is it, is it, pro or against in the Bible. So as a pastor, the Bible is the, the framework. Now, there's a whole lot in life that is gray and doesn't explicitly say, you know, if in the Bible you should or shouldn't do these things. And so I always, even now, like the, the platform in ministry was just preparation for the platform I have now. I would always ask, even as students go, well, does this get you closer to where you want to be. 
And as a student, they may not be able to say like, I will have this big vision for my life, but yeah, they don't even necessarily know where they want to be. No. And so it's like, is it helpful to you? Do you think so? Have you considered what may happen if it doesn't go as you think it might? What are you going to do if it goes well? What are you going to do if it doesn't go well? And so I would always just have conversations with students. And most of the time it was, my parents are too mean. I think my teacher's stupid or whatever. You know, it's very, what we would say as adults, that's trivial. Yeah. But for a student, it's very real. Just like with us. Our problems are very real to us, no matter if they're trivial to somebody else. And so even today, is it helpful to where you want to be or the the next thing you think is possible for you? Is it taking you closer to or further away that idea of what you want to be and become? And then if it goes well, what are you going to do to move forward? If it goes bad, what are you going to do to move forward? So that was a lot of what I did even as a youth pastor. And then when I shifted to leading adults and then now even with my clients I have uh, in the coaching, I do. it's, it's a pretty much the same framework. Yeah. It sounds like focusing on, on what's truly important to them, right? How do you get a, a kid who might actually think something is truly important to them, but it isn't? Like they, they haven't done the, they don't have the self-awareness at, at 16. At least I didn't. I didn't have the self-awareness at 16 to be able to say, oh, this is actually what I want for myself. And this explicitly is not. I could justify it. You know, if my mom or dad said, is that really where you want to go? I go, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> I think at 16, you, you know, you're looking at immediate gratification, right? It, it, it primarily driven by that immediately gratification and, and that the social influence like we were talking about earlier. And so I think when you when you look at decision making at, at that age, and certainly from a framework of a of a pastor, the going back to the source material I think is is key. Now you said you know the Bible, right? And as a pastor, that would be a good a good framework to yeah, use, right? Right. But but I I think at any age you, you might even have to say what is my source material that I'm using to make this decision. And I think a lot of people who are that age, you know, 16 year olds may not know what that source material is. And that might be that disconnect you were talking about, Sanger, is, is that, you know, at 16, this, I'm not sure what my source material is at 16, right? And if somebody comes in and says, it's, it's the Bible or it's this, you might need a pause to take a, take a step and go, you know, is it for me? No, maybe it is, but maybe, maybe it, I don't yet have that. Maybe I'm not yet convinced that that is my source material for me, right? And so I, I think that may be the the thing. We have to sort of back up and not try and impose that, you know, that you need to use this as your source material, right? It, is that sort of show these proof sources to say, you know, hey, this stuff is helpful if you use it, like what you were saying. This does help you directionally. Right to move in the right direction of what you're wanting, and this this does help you with good or bad decision making, so that you end up at a better outcome. Does that does that yeah. make sense? Oh, one hundred percent. And I think I think too, if we try to restrict too much, then rebellion happens. 
you know, defiance happens. But then also people don't learn the lessons that they need to learn. And so I think about this a lot. I got two kids under two and a half now. And even my wife and I, we were raised very differently. My parents were more like, here's here's some guardrails. Figure it out. And didn't really give a whole lot of like, gotta do this. It was restrictive in that they didn't they didn't let me venture out a ton, but where they did, now what happened is is because of that restriction, I I went nuts when I got full free. Yeah. But I think we have to be, especially for students, we have to be okay letting them be dumb and and wreck the cars and crash the plans and and get the bumps and bruises. That's the only way sometimes we learn and gain experience. Yeah. And, yeah. and so I would I would encourage parents a lot when I was a youth pastor and they were like, I just don't like what they're doing. I they, they they're fighting me on this and everything. I'm like, yeah, they're supposed to. Yeah. I think you, you know, the, you get there's obviously some safety lines, right? You know, that, that you want to keep totally, you know, hey, I'm not gonna let this kid play in the street, but the uh, I, I think you gotta let a kid skin their knee, right? Certainly, totally. you know, and and the only the way that we even learn as adults is we make some decisions. We you know we burn our hand on that hot stove. We pull back. You know the problem is if we do it again, right? <laughs> you are you repeatedly burning right. your hand on that hot stove? Well, then we got totally. a problem about your decision making. But you know I don't fault you. You know if you if you slip and fall and you know skin your knee, there's that natural consequence uh, that goes. Oh yeah, maybe I won't you know, run down the stairs so fast in an ice storm, you know? So yeah, I, I think those are, those are good lessons for kids to learn and adults too, you know, as business owners, you know, we'll make some decisions go, Hmm, you know, maybe I'll, maybe I don't want to make that decision again, but I, I think we have to be self-reflective enough that we learn from those decisions to say, all right, what, what did I do here? What was my decision that I made? I, I see so many times that people will not take that time to be self-reflective you know, if they make a bad hire or they make a bad, you know, bad uh, client yeah. acquisition or bad business deal. I wish that sort I had more access whenever yeah. I was younger to decision-making frameworks because there were a lot, I think that most people learn lessons. Like most people, they do burn their hand on the stove and they don't do it again. There's a subsegment of the population that will not learn. It does not matter. They will keep burning their hand repeatedly over and over mm -hmm. and over. Mm -hmm. And then they'll convince themselves that they like having a blistered, scarred, warped hand right <laughs> there are those people or, out there or it's that the or it's the stove's fault yeah or it's the stove's fault we can't help those people right <laughs> at least right. at least i'm not skilled enough to help those people but the other 90 percent of the population um they're gonna learn and i think that the concrete like the the diff that's distinction or what's missing is that we think too concretely about those lessons so a lot of people they burn their hand on the stove and they go oh don't touch stoves but there's a higher level lesson. And the lesson is maybe I should understand my surroundings better. Maybe I should be more thoughtful in general about the things that I touch, not simply avoid that single one thing. Because later on, a year from now, two years from now, five years from now, I'm going to run into something that doesn't look anything like a stove and I'm going to burn my hand again. And that's a good point. We have that experience so much as, as kids. You know, we'll, well, maybe like I didn't do my homework and I got a bad grade in class and that was bad. And the lesson is 
I got to do my homework next time. Well, that is a lesson. That's the most concrete application of that lesson possible. There's a deeper lesson. The lesson there is that why did I not do my homework? Did I not do it because I didn't plan? Did I not do it because I didn't remember? Did I not do it because I actually knew about it and chose to pursue something else? Or did I not do it because I allowed the anxiety of completing the assignment to overwhelm me and then I couldn't address that anxiety and so I ignored it and chose to not do it? Okay, well, I've got to understand that and then address that. And the lesson is, oh, my anxiety stop me from doing it. I actually knew I had to do my homework. I didn't do my homework on purpose. So next time when I feel that anxiety and that anxiety, I got to know in the moment, as soon as I feel it, it's going to hold me back from achieving my potential. It's not just, I got to do my homework. And, and I don't know if, if 15 year olds, 16 year olds are going to grasp that, but I know that that wasn't ever told to me when I was that age. No one ever said, hey, you had a bad consequence. Here's a higher level. They only drew concrete, direct pathways. And they would say, oh, Sanger, you didn't do your homework? You're going to fail out of high school. You're going to fail college. You'll never get a job in your life, you loser. Oh, okay. Well, I don't think that's the lesson. And so I would just keep not doing my homework. <laughs> you know, I'd say, oh, well, screw that. that. That's clearly not the lesson. Therefore, there is no lesson. And, and there's always a lesson. So how do you, how do you think we get people to, this is a question for you, Sanger. So how do we get, because that's an excellent point, you know, it, it, how do you think you get people to understand this larger lesson, not just don't touch the stove, but how am I evaluating what things I touch? They have to have a guide. Like you have to have a pastor that can break that down for you and say, Hey man, it wasn't just that, yeah, it's not just that yelling at your mom is bad. Okay, yeah, you're in trouble. You didn't get to come to youth group tonight because you yelled at your mom. You're right, that's bad, don't do that. But how much higher level can we take this? Maybe it's, it's the lesson is you had a consequence because of your action here. And that's, that action wasn't just yelling at your mom. It was dishonoring your family and dishonoring your parents. It wasn't just dishonoring your, your family or dishonoring your parents. It was that you don't know how to manage your emotions at, at the, the peaks and valleys. And you're going to react in ways that are unhealthy and, and you're going to do things you don't mean and they're going to have consequences. So yeah, don't yell at your mom for sure. But it's more than that. And you have to have someone that knows you intimately and that, can, that you trust to give you that advice. And a lot of kids, unfortunately, they don't have that. Or maybe they just have one person that can do that. And when that person's not around, they're not getting any sort of lesson. But I think, a, a, you know, great pastors are going to do that. You know, great advisors are going to do that. Great coaches are going to do that. They're going to say, hey, little buddy, you screwed up. Now, you didn't just, you didn't just get a flag on the play. <laughs> you know, you, you, it was a bigger lesson for you. Um, I mean, at 15, at least, I think that's the only hope. I don't think most 15-year-olds are self-aware enough to figure that out. They turn 35, look backwards, and go, oh, yeah, whenever I was 15, that's what I did. And they learn the lesson 20 years later or 10 years later or 50 years later. Yeah, Looking inward and, and looking inward's the only way. Kyle, you moved into yeah. uh, full-time coaching? Yes, sir. How's that going? It's uh, the most fun and frustrating thing I've ever done in my life. <laughs> What's frustrating about it? 
I mean, building a business is hard. Y'all know that. Yeah. You know, in ministry, I walked into three amazing churches in the 11 years that I was on staff that were already established that all very different contexts, all very different expressions, but had been around a while. So the, the playbook was, here you go. Here's what we do. Here's how we do it. Go do it. And so that was easy. Yeah, there's a learning curve. Yeah, you got to navigate interpersonal relationships and and having the awareness and all of those things. But like, really, it was pretty easy to to figure out. Okay, what success look like here? What do I need to do to do it? Now go do it. Starting your own business, it's man, I I've never done this before. I mean, Google and YouTube were my teachers and guides in the beginning of this. <laughs> I I felt prompted to quit my job with an eight-month-old in the middle of a pandemic to start this thing I'm 51% sure would work. Oh, that's those are great odds. Uh, that's all I needed. Yeah, those are awesome <laughs> odds. <laughs> that's all I needed. <laughs> And so, I started on, a, I started on a lot less. Yeah. <laughs> y'all, I, I remember I, when I, I started Googled, like how to get a coaching client. Yeah. You know, one of my mentors said, if you don't know something, that's fine. If you don't know something five minutes later, that's your fault. Because we have access to thousands, hundreds of thousands of results. If we just type in what we're looking for. And so that's how I did it. And so the frustrating part is never being in business for myself, understanding one, I didn't realize how much I thrived on the team and the competition of each other and the collaboration of each other. And then I go, okay, we're already in an isolated state because of the pandemic. Now I'm going to remove myself from any teammates, any interaction with people. And I'm going to sit at this desk in front of this computer and I'm going to just try to figure this thing out. I didn't realize how lonely I'd gotten, how isolated I had gotten. And it took a while for me to kind of come out of like the fog and go, oh, I gotta, I gotta do some things differently. I gotta make sure I, I, I get out. And you know, in Oklahoma, lockdown didn't stay very long. Yeah. And so I gotta make sure I'm out in coffee shops, I'm out at a restaurant, I'm, you know, I had to figure out that but the frustrating thing was man i've just never done this before and as somebody that naturally kind of picked up stuff and it was easy to do and building a business is a whole different beast and i realized i'm not a very good boss to myself y'all y'all talk about you know we're talking about decisions man i had a big like right out of the gate huge month you know like 30 percent of what i'd make all year in ministry I was playing golf two, three days a week. I was like sleeping in. I was like binging Netflix shows. And my coach was like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I just had this huge month. I'm awesome at this. And then the next month, I'm like, oh, that's not coming back in again. Oh, I oh, I need to prospect. What's that mean? Oh, I, you know, and so that's the frustrating thing. But it's also the thing that was needed. Like I needed to learn that I'm a terrible boss to myself. So I needed to learn how to do these things. And so now. Yeah. What, what decisions did you make to, to combat that? 
uh, brutal honesty with myself. So what I mean by that is working with my coach, working with uh, others in in my industry that I was moving into. It was okay. What do y'all do? Yeah. I think in the beginning, when you do anything, it's wise. Like what we were talking about when I was a youth pastor. Yeah. A, you know, it's find the guide. Find the guide. So I'd never done this before. I looked up people doing it locally to me, and I just said, "What's it take to get around you?" Yeah. I need to know what you're doing. I don't have to come up with my own way. And oh, I'm going to be expressive. And no, 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 stop it. I'm going to do exactly what you do. If I, you know, I got people in different industries and they're starting out or they're building their business, I'm like, find the top three people and copy everything they do. Yeah. If you got to pay to get in front of them, buy their lunch, detail their car, walk their dog, I don't care. Get around them and watch. And so then you can start to learn the decisions that you need to make. And so I literally would, you know, I I rode with people in between their appointments. I brought them lunch. I brought them coffee. I'd show up with drinks from a, you know, quick trip or convenience store for their team. I just wanted to be around them. Yeah. No, that That's smart. You can soak up so much wisdom just from being in the same room as somebody. It's the proximity principle. Yeah. Yeah. Whether it's interning at the drug dealers or interning with the best coaches. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. You know, for me, it, it, I realized looking back on my life, it's like, and you always wanted to just be with the people doing the thing. Yeah. Whatever it was. When I was in ministry, I found people that were doing really well in youth ministry and I wanted to get in the room, but not get in the room and try to push and prod my way to the table i just wanted to serve my way into yeah a conversation yeah so when when you look at the the coaching that you do and you 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 coach with people uh tell me a little bit about what you're coaching them to to do tell me about the coaching business that you did or that you're doing yeah simply put at unleash the champ we coach individuals with significant professional success match that to their personal fulfillment so the questions is, man, I got all this success professionally, but I'm a roommate with my spouse. I'm not connected to my family. I'm not connected with my friends. My health is taken. My my body isn't what it used to be. I'm not proud of what I look like. I don't have routines. You know, success covers a multitude of sins. And so being able to coach people, what I call the playbook, which is the four phases of our life, personal, your body relationships to yourself and others, emotional, that's your mindset, how you view the world. And then, and only then is your professional success important. That's the, that's the coaching. And the benefit of that is that alignment of that personal fulfillment that leads to increased professional success. Yeah. I love that. Success covers a multitude of sins. I think that professional success is the most visible and the most obvious and the most rewarded success that we have in life. Um, I I remember, um, Sean, you remember this? We were at a conference together a long time ago and we were, it was one of the, you know, national top advisor conferences. 
Okay. And it was, I mean, these were big hitters, um, really, really very successful advisors. And um, we were talking, hanging out. And of course, almost every, you know, a bunch of people knew Sean and hardly anyone knew me. Um, no one knew me, but we're shaking hands. We're talking, yada, yada, yada. And I'm just learning so much. I mean, these guys in, in a, you know, 30 second BS conversation, this guy just drops out his wisdom on the table. Like you can just, you know, that they know exactly what they're talking about. They're experts. And I'm just, you know, starstruck. I'm like, oh, this is everything. I want to be these guys when I grow up. Like they're awesome. And we leave. And we're walking down the hallway at like the Bellagio or wherever this conference was. And I said to Sean, I said, man, wow, those guys are just, God, they are so successful. And all he said was in a very nice tone, he said, professionally. That's the only thing he said. He didn't even say it like to be mean. And I didn't ask a single follow-up question. And then I, I did it. I knew, I knew what you meant. Like he, he had no hate in his heart towards them for that. He wasn't sticking his nose up at them. He just said professionally. And I noticed as I observed those same men throughout the rest of the week at that conference, anytime we were not talking professional, I, I admired nothing about them. Yeah. I, I think it's so key, you know, when you look at, you know, holistically to to look at the professional success is is one thing but i have uh, and I, and i think when you get to the top of a lot of careers you you may find this i know that i i do and i've seen this uh at, at my career that a lot of the the individuals who have achieved a lot of success it's cost them a lot i mean they've you know the, what it's what that success has cost them uh, is maybe personal health or, you know, family relationships or those types of things. Uh, you know, and so I, I think without factoring in what is it costing me to be successful, you may not really get the ultimate success you're wanting. Are, are there keys to decision-making that you find are helpful across the board, across those four components that are universal, that, are, that we ought to keep in mind when we're looking at decision-making? 100%. It's three questions you need to ask yourself. So number one, which is probably the simplest, but the hardest for people to answer, is what do you want? What do you want? We we grow up and we get into workplaces and we get into relationships where we're told or strongly suggested what we want. I mean, I talk to people who make enormous amounts of money. I go, what do you want your body to look like? I don't know. What do you want your relationships to look like? Like, what's a what's a vision for your marriage or your relationship with your kids? I don't know. I want them to see me as like a like a good dad or good mom or good. So what do you want? And that is the hardest and most critical decision you have to make. Because where there is no vision, the people perish. And so, so many have a vision that they don't even, they don't, they're not excited to go towards. So that first decision is, what do you want? And you go personally with your body, relationship to yourself and others, emotional, where do you want your mind to be? How sharp do you want to be? What do you want to learn? You 
What do you want there? And then what do you want professionally? Second thing is who do you have to become to get that? That's the second decision you have to make. Okay, I know what I want, but who do I have to become? Because to answer that means that you have to change. You have to acknowledge your shortcomings. You have to identify where you're not, where there's a gap of where you want to be and what you want. And then here's the final decision you have to make. Am I committed to doing the work? I love that. Because so many times the answer is no. (laughs) So many times I really want this. I want this thing. I want to become this person. I ain't doing that. Right. And here's the thing. Listeners, y'all got me fired up now. It's okay if the answer is no. Yeah. It's okay if it's not right now. It's okay if it's not ever. We just got to go back to the first decision and make a reality that you actually get excited for. Because there's some people that, like we mentioned earlier, like they they never want the the big house and the big cars or whatever. Like, but that's what society says. So they initially, when you when you tell somebody define what you want and take the limits off. Well, they go to bigger houses and bigger cars and more expensive vacations and yeah. blah, 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 whatever. But it is like, you really want that? And they're like, no, nah, I kind of want like a log cabin in the middle of nowhere, the well for my water and a wraparound porch. Cool. Dope. Yeah. They don't say you want the Lamborghini in the house on Malibu. Yeah. And so you that, that third decision is the crux of all of it. And the answer doesn't always have to be, yes, I'm willing to do the work. It may just be, that really doesn't excite me. Yeah. Saying I've seen my jujitsu coach, Travis Luter, he will have people come in all the time who say that they want to be a UFC fighter. They want to be a world champion jujitsu black belt or whatever, you know, people have big goals, especially when they're energetic and early on in the process. And I've kind of overheard him a few times um, talking with people and saying, Hey, um, okay, this is what you have to do. You have to have a minimum level of athletic ability. You have to have a minimum level of intelligence and he'll be honest with them. He'll be like, you don't, (laughs) you you know, (laughs) if they don't, but you know, okay, you, you, you're generally athletic. You're generally smart enough. Okay. Um, this is how you're going to have to work because you are going to have to overcome, you know, you're starting at 25. You're going to have to overcome these kids that have been doing it since they were four years old and their dad's a six degree black belt and their granddad's a black belt himself too. So they grew up on the mat. How are you going to beat them? Now this is how you're going to have to train. Okay. That's cool. That means you're going to have to quit your job. All right. That means you're not going to have any money, which means you're going to have to figure out a way to eat. And you got to eat healthy so you can't just live off the dollar menu either. And you start giving it to them and letting them feel what it's going to be like to live in that environment. And they go, nah, this is a cool hobby, though. Like, okay, that's what I thought. (laughs) So at least we're not lying anymore. You didn't know you were lying, but now you're now you're being honest. I heard somebody say, and I wish I could remember who who it was, 
but they they looked at his success and, and people were like, uh, oh man, I want to do what you're oh, doing. Oh, this was you a know, John C. Maxwell speech. Yes. Yeah, there yeah. was John C. Maxwell. So I was, thank you. So I was at a conference. I told you about this when I came back from the conference and, and John Maxwell had, had spoken. And he mentioned just offhandedly, he, he said, you know, people come up to me after the after presentations and uh, they'll say, oh, yeah, I want to write books like you. I want to do, you know, I want to do, you know, speeches like like you do. And he said, yeah, there's a lot of people who want to do what I do, but they're not willing to do what I did. <laughs> you know, and that is such a key question, you know, is, is our, does it go through the acid test? You know, are you willing to do what it takes to, to achieve this goal? This is what you want for yourself. And so clearly you have to know to be able to answer that question, that acid test, am I willing to do what it takes to achieve this goal? I'd have to know, well, what does it take? Right. So I've got to get with a mentor that like you talked about and, you know, like Travis Luter, uh, just to explain, well, here's what it's going to take to reach this goal. You know, and as a financial advisor, that's one of the things that we do is, you know, somebody says, well, I, I want this. And they rarely say I want the Lamborghini, but they <laughs> say, you know, I want, here's what I want, you know, and we can back into here's what it's going to take to get there. And are you willing to do what it's going to take to get there? And, and that might be saving it a certain amount, sacrificing today for tomorrow and those, those types of things. Uh, one of my mentors in this business, Doug Linick, and you know, one of the things he talks about, and we had him on the podcast and he talks about that very th same thing that you spoke about is, is understanding what you want. He calls that, you know, what do I want for myself? And which is sounds initially, unless you really understand it, is to it, it sounds like selfishness it, it sounds like self-centeredness but it it really isn't it's it's as long as that's aligned with with my values and it's it's not hurting anybody else then that's a really appropriate thing to determine and to work for right i want to work for what i want for myself and i have to understand what that is and i have to understand what it's going to take to get there and be committed to to do that so I think it's super important when you look at decision making is understand what what you want for for yourself. And one of the things that uh, Sanger and I do is we as we work with with clients is ask that question. Now it comes yeah. in a lot of different forms, right? You know, so I, I've heard Sanger and Sanger does a great job of this. Is you know asking people, you know, what do they want? And you were talking about, oh, I want that Lamborghini, I want that house, or whatever it is that they want. Uh, What's important about that to you? It's that second level question. You know, I want to, I want to have a house in Colorado, you know, or second home or you know, whatever. I want to retire at this age. What's important about doing that to you, right? And that's really where the importance comes in understanding that first key is what do you want is understanding why do you want that, right? Uh, and it can't be just that it's cool. It can't be just that it's expected. It's what's important about that like it can be but most of the be. time people don't actually really just want it because it's cool there's like a one percent of people that actually want things because they're they get status and i've yet to yeah. meet anyone that is honest about that um, no i've never had anybody say that that is one of their core values is status yeah i think there are people but i've just never they there live in be. they live in california like uh, <laughs> like we don't know them you know, know yeah. <laughs> they exist <laughs> But it, I think it takes a person who's really honest with themselves who would admit that. If that's no, really yeah, true. you're totally right. Sure, I mean, I, it, it's really it's really easy to that. say what I want is insert commonly desired goal, and the reason I want that is because insert commonly held value. 
and, and I want a bigger house and I want financial freedom and security. Or, you know, I want to lose weight so I'm healthier and can live longer. I want to lose weight so I, I'm closer to my high school weight, whatever, you know. Like, do you? Do you really? Right. Well, what's important about that yeah. to you? What's and important are you about willing it? to committed yeah, and to if do you, it. If you don't know what's important about it, then you don't have, you, you won't have that motivation. Yeah. And it's like when we, we were talking to um, Peter Shankman about Ironmans and, mm-hmm. you know, he was training. So Kyle, he, he, you know, the, um, you know, how ridiculously long an Ironman is, right? So this mm-hmm. guy trained for the world championship and it got canceled tw- two years in a row. And so he trains for it, they cancel it, train for it, cancel it again, and now he's training for it the third time. And he goes, man, I just don't know if I have the motivation for it. It's like, well, you know, if you don't have the motivation for it, then at least you know that and you don't have to work hard. You don't have to be a failure because you're not going to do Ironman work if you don't have the motivation. You're not going to do six-pack ab work if you don't have the motivation. Yeah, Kyle, I would love to hear from you what – what you think the most, you know, you have a really compelling story and, and your life has taken you through a, a journey to end up at, at where you are. And it, I, I love how you've arrived at a lot of the, like the, I think a lot of similarities that we have with coaches and with pastors and, and with advisors is at the core of it, we're all teachers, right? So it makes a lot of sense. You go from a pastor to a coach, right? Like we're just teaching. You know, and it, it just depends on what you're teaching. Are you teaching math to ninth graders or are you teaching life to grown adults? And um, decision-making matters so much in that, in that teaching process. So what do you think is the most difficult decision that you've had to make? Um, I think the most difficult decision was – leaving leaving ministry Mm. and i wrestled though it happened fast i think if it didn't happen fast i probably wouldn't have done it because i was afraid of man what are people gonna think like i've lived here in tulsa 10 years the only i've worked at a church the entire time now that was three churches in 10 years that was the only Thing people in Tulsa, Oklahoma knew me as. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's Kyle. He's a pastor. Of, he's a youth pastor. He's a associate campus pastor. Oh, he's a groups guy. He's the youth pastor. You know, whatever. That's all people knew me as. And, you know, y'all, as I started diving in and going, okay, here's the vision. Here's what I want. Here's who I have to become. And then I'm willing to do the work. But man, I'm afraid of what people are going to say. Because I think people try to villainize the past when there's nothing bad about pressing into the future. What I mean by that is people came up to me or people called me or people texted me and said, well, what happened? <laughs> like, like why did you, why did you leave? It happened when I left all three churches. When I went from the first to the second, and the second to the third, and the third to my own thing. Well, and I'm like, 
nothing. My respect grew for him in my exit. It was an amazing transition. They prayed for me. It was amazing. Now I'm doing this. But like, like you could talk to me. What do you want to know? It was amazing. Yeah. Every transition I had, it was hard because I was annoyed by it. Yeah. So just saying, you, you, you must have been failing at something in order to make a change. Right. Right. Rather right. than reaching for something else, right? You must have been fa- right. <laughs> yeah, you and must be so, going backwards. Yeah, yeah. Well, and here's the deal, y'all. When I went from where I was at in Life Church, it was perceived like I was starting over because I had built seven years of influence there. I'd gotten to do a whole lot, and no one really understood. <laughs> no, I just felt prompted. I felt. Like, this was the next assignment. It doesn't make sense to me either, y'all. But this is where I'm going. Yeah. This is what I'm doing. And so I think the hardest decision was ultimately going, am I really about to do this? You know, and I thought through not only me, because I I can handle me, but my wife. You know, we met because I was an intern at the church she grew up in. We met in college. Mm. Well, I, I changed the rules on her. She married somebody who she believed was going to be a pastor forever. So we had to talk about that. <laughs> like, you know, babe, you know, you get into ministry, it's like, no one's getting into ministry to make money. Yeah. To now I'm going, no, I want X amount of money. This is what I'm going to do to get there. Here's where I'm going. Here's the, here's the money I'm investing in myself now. It was like, yo, we got to talk about this to my family. Like my grandma, it it shook her. God bless my nanny. She'd never been on the internet, so she's never going to hear this. But like, <laughs> God bless her because she's like, what happened? Like, why'd you leave the church? Yeah. And I'm like, nanny, I still love Jesus. I'm just doing my own business now. And so all of those. So that is probably the the most recent hard decision that I've had to make. Um, so how because, did you go about making the decision? Mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not talking about the outcome and what decision you made, but that that's a that's a marriage decision, right? That's uh-huh. between the two. What was the process of walking through and thinking through because that is particularly it's it's more difficult you, you didn't go from selling shoes to selling cars. You you, you didn't go from being a painter to being a plumber, there's a special sort of judgment or stigma that goes along with, as you, as you were saying, that goes along with changing from ministry to uh, non-ministry work, right? right. There, there's, there's some judgment that happens, good, bad, like it or don't, it's there, right? Totally. So how did you work through that decision with her to make that big change, that big decision? Listen, y'all, my wife is amazing. And I'm not saying this because she probably would listen to this episode. She truly is. So I felt prompted, led, called, however you want to phrase it. I felt in my gut, okay, I need to leave. I text my wife. She's working. You know, We're in the middle of the pandemic. Everybody's at home working, all this stuff. I text her, ask if she's in a meeting. She says no. I said, hey, come here. And y'all, I'm a rip the band-aid kind of cat. So she comes into the office, which is, you know, my spare room in my house. And I go, 
I think I'm supposed to quit my job. It just, just vomits all over her. And she, she goes, oh, now for the husbands on here, when your wife gets a couple octaves higher than her normal speaking tone, choose your next words carefully. <laughs> and so she's like, what are you going to do? I said, I think I'm going to do this coaching deal. And this is, this is amazing. This is how awesome my wife is. She gets a smirk on her face, y'all. And she goes, I think you may be the last person to realize what you should be doing. <laughs> um, Ma'am, I'm going to need you to run that one back. And she said, Kyle, you've been doing this for 11 years full time. You've been doing this 13 years if you count what you did in ministry. Like You've been leading people. You've been developing systems and pathways and growth plans for people. It's a much like what you were just saying, saying, Sean, like the 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 transition or, or Sanger, like the transition from a pastor to a coach isn't that difficult. It's just where are you going to find your people? And she's like, you've been doing this for over a decade. Yeah, y'all, that's significant in and of itself. But my wife, God bless her, is the most risk adverse person that I know which is great for me because I will jump off the cliff, like whatever. And so that was all the motivation I needed. It wasn't this long drawn out. I said, are you sure? That was the clarifier. You sure? Cause you know, I'm about to jump. I am. All right, let's go. Let's do it. Yeah. I bet that would be difficult, but you can't succeed. You know, I'm not married. So I'm speaking just from my observation and not from my own personal experience, but it's difficult to succeed in anything without the support of your spouse. It's virtually impossible to succeed as an entrepreneur without the support of your spouse. And so both of y'all are lucky to have had that. Oh, I, I've, I had it in spades. You know, I mean, my, my wife was so supportive of, particularly early on when I was coming home, late and uh not not being financially successful early on which you know, hardly anybody is right you, you know you're, you're you're building up but uh there was such support there and understanding that we were working towards something that it it, it, it couldn't have done it without it but I, and i've seen people who have tried to make it in in business and build their own business who had you know, some negative influences at home. Hey, you need to be home. You know, why, why aren't you doing this? Yeah, it's why five o'clock. Where are you? And yeah, it, yeah, it's five o'clock. Where are you? You know, why are you, why are you going in on Saturday? You know, why do you have to do that? Why, you were going to spend this kind of money or you're not making, you know, and, and eventually they're like, I can't, you know, I can't take it. It wasn't for them. Right. And good, you know, make a good decision for you and your, you know, your family, you know, make a good decision. But, you know, if you don't have that support, it's, it's virtually impossible uh, to, to, become an entrepreneur uh long term successfully so it's yeah i, yeah. I appreciate what you're saying there. well yeah. thank you so much for coming and joining us kyle absolutely this was uh this is such a fun conversation and and i uh, love the flow of it really really awesome time i love it where can people find you yeah so most active if, if you want to go the social media route most active on instagram at kyle j sullivan you can go to my website uh, which is kylejsullivan.com. 
You can even email me directly. You got a story. Hey, I got this or, you know, I want to talk more. Kyle at KyleJSullivan.com. So you type in Kyle J. Sullivan, you'll find me. And uh, and so that'd be the easiest way to get in touch with me. Well, I, I had some takeaways from our discussion with Kyle. The uh, the the decision making takeaways I got from that discussion were really when he started talking about the four phases of life of looking at you know personal body relationships and emotional uh, development, and then we started looking at the questions to ask ourselves. Uh, that was really my takeaway because I think it reinforced some of the things that we we talk about a lot. And one was looking at sort of what do you want, you know, and, and we talk about what do you want for yourself. Number two is is look who do you have to become to get what you want? And number three, am I am I committed? In other words, am I willing to do what it's going to take? So I think I really liked those three questions as a framework for decision making on on growth around those four key areas and phases of life. So those, those yeah, are my I like it. Yeah. I, my my takeaway was something that you know in that framework he shared that he asked individuals what do they want who do they want to become and are they willing to do what it takes and it's okay to not do to not be willing to do what it takes and that's something that i i've i've thought before and i've agreed with but i've never been i've never articulated it that way with with myself or with clients and that's important just say hey this is what it takes are you willing and it's okay you're not you're not a bad person if you're unwilling it's fine you don't have to the only thing that's wrong is to lie about it, to lie right. to yourself and to say right. that you are willing and then not do anything because yes. we have to hold you accountable to what you said you wanted. Right. There's and nothing more you, frustrating than, yeah, than somebody who says, wanted, this is what I want, and then they don't, they're not committed to do what it's going to take. Yeah. If, yeah. if what you said you wanted is not actually what you want, it's your fault. It's right. your fault. So just be honest. No one's going to judge you. It's okay. Just say, say it like it is. I'm willing to do this or I'm not. And if I'm not yeah. willing to do it, I got to be okay with saying that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I have so many people that uh, would come in and say to me, you know, I want to retire when I'm 60. Oh, okay. All right. Here's what it's going to take. Oh, you know, okay. And you can see the look on their face. They're like, <laughs> they are not doing what it's going to take. You know, so we'd meet again. And I said, well, you know, this, you got to do this. And, uh, you still haven't done that. Oh, well, you know, and, and we'd have to then reevaluate the goal. And I, and I would say exactly what you just said. So I said, it's okay if you, this is not something that's, that's really important enough for you to do what it takes to get there. That's part of the process. That's not failure. There's no, there's no negative stigma in that. It's part of the iterative process of determining, are you willing to do what it's going to take? Because you have to find out what does it take and, and be able to try and do that. And once you realize, oh, you know, I really, this isn't, I'm not that committed to that goal. That's okay. Let's find a goal that you are committed to so we can make good decisions on what, what we need to do there. Thanks for listening to this episode of Decidedly. I hope you learned something. I know I did. If you thought our show was five-star worthy, please check us out on iTunes and give us a five-star review. It really helps out a lot, helps people find our community and defeat bad decision-making in their own lives. Check us out at decidedlypodcast.com. 
and on Facebook and Instagram at Decidedly Podcast. Until next time, I'm Sanger Smith with Sean Smith. This is Decidedly. Insights, advice, and comments provided by Sean Smith, Sanger Smith, and speakers identified as part of the Decidedly podcast should not be considered recommendations. Speakers who are not identified as members of Decidedly are expressing their own opinion, and their statements should not be construed as reflecting the views of the Decidedly team. This podcast is produced solely for informational purposes, not personalized advice.